This is Michael Badgley, and you're listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. All right, guys, welcome into a new episode of Chargers Weekly. The virtual offseason is complete. Now we look to training camp. Uh, and with me, Daniel Popper, The Athletic. And Popper, you've been in on all these Zoom conferences with coaches and players and the rookies. Uh, I guess let's just start with your overall thoughts on what you heard during the virtual offseason as we inch closer to training camp. Yeah, well, first off, I just want to say that it's it's much better being here by myself and not in the round table because it's just it's purely my takes now. I can have as much time to talk as I want. I don't have to worry about deferring to Jeff or you Joe. You don't have to wait. You don't, you don't have, have to wait. wait to it's speak. all me. Yes. It's a full dose of Daniel Popper. You probably feel you, feel you feel free. Yeah, I feel free. I feel ready to go. Um, but, yeah, just to get your, to your question, I mean, the one thing that, that Tom Telesco, Anthony Lynn, everyone's sort of been hammering home is that, you know, everyone's in the same boat here around the league. And there will be one team that does this virtual offseason thing better than every other team. And that team will give themselves a built-in advantage for this season, uh, which I thought was a great way to to approach it. You know, so you can get the the rookies able to get in the field that your future, hopefully, franchise quarterback has yet to take a snap. That Kenneth Murray, hopefully your linebackers, difference-making linebacker for decades to come, hasn't been able to get in the field. You can lament all of that all you want, but it doesn't help you. you got to figure out a way to be productive during this time and you know by all accounts the chargers have been productive and have been able to get some stuff done the question is you know how far behind will a number of these young players that are supposed to play crucial roles be and we won't be able to determine that until we can see them on the practice field you know the one thing with justin herbert is will we be able to use that intelligence and be able to process information quickly on the field we won't know that until until he actually gets on the practice field you know where are Kenneth Murray's coverage skills we won't know that until he gets onto the practice field how much development has Trey Pipkins made how much development has Nasir Adderley made we won't know that until they get on the field so I think it puts a a little bit of a bigger onus on the training camp practices you know the evaluation has to be on point um, and they have to get a lot done in in less time during these training camp practices Um, but you know like we were talking about before we started recording that's obviously still up in the air um, but that's sort of my biggest takeaway is that the, the approach organizationally was very solid. And obviously that starts with general manager Tom Telesco. And he's obviously a very pragmatic decision maker and, and, and general manager. And, and that obviously resonated in, in you know, his approach to this offseason. You know, you threw out a lot of different things that fans need to look at for training camp. And, and let's just start with quarterbacks because – this is the first year since 2006 Phillip Rivers is not going to be under center. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, Easton Stick. The fact that Tyrod and Coach Lynn have a history together from their time in Buffalo. Tyrod was here last year. Um, couple that with what's looking like a, a kind of a new look offense. We don't exactly know what it's going to look like right now. But, but Coach says he feels pretty comfortable uh, with Tyrod uh, running the show. What do you make of the quarterback situation as we sit here at the end of June, Daniel? Yeah, you know, the one point you bring up that's that's essential and you can really apply it all around the team and to every team in the NFL is how important familiarity will be this season. Um, right. You know, you know, it's going to be an interesting scenario with the Chargers because like you mentioned, there are going to be changes on both sides of the ball. There will be some significant scheme changes on the offensive side of the ball, more quarterback movement, more quarterback running, more RPO, more play action, more run heavy scheme, different type of running scheme. Um, you know, I've written about all that kind of stuff and, and that's going to be 
you know, something to watch because they don't have the time on the practice field to maybe to maybe execute all that kind of stuff and, and figure out exactly what it's going to look like, um, you know. But ultimately, uh, you know, the changes are going to happen and, and, and these teams are going to have to, to, especially with the Chargers, you know, figure it out, uh, you know, during training camp. And, uh, you know, like I was saying before, those practices are going to be really essential. But getting to the quarterback specifically, like that familiarity between Anthony Lynn and Tyrod Taylor is absolutely essential. It's going to be so important to how this team functions because, you know, they and I've written about this a bunch, like they have a, a luxury that a lot of teams don't have when you bring in when you draft the quarterback and bring him in. And that is that they can sit Justin Herbert for the entire season if they really feel like that's necessary. You know, the organization has been preaching patience with Justin Herbert. That's been the priority. And so they have a guy in Tyra Taylor that they trust. They feel like he can do everything that they need to do, win football games. And so they have the luxury to keep him on the field and start him for as long as they want. Um, and I think there, another factor in this is that, you know, Tyrod has never really had a bona fide chance to be a starter with the support of the coaching staff in the organization. I mean, he was benched for Nathan Peterman in Buffalo. He – yeah. Suffered that I was there. I was, I, was, I was there for that game. He had that concussion with the Browns. Baker came in and it was over. And, you know, I think all those times he was looked at as sort of a bridge. I don't know if he's necessarily looked at that by the Chargers. I think he's looked at as a starting quarterback, a legitimate starting caliber quarterback who can win football games by being a game manager, by protecting the football and by allowing this really talented defense to do its thing. Um, and so, you know, I think that they're in a great position in the quarterback room they have you know two guys that will have a chance to develop and they have a guy in Tyra Taylor that they can trust that could play the whole season if necessary pro bowler in 2015 with the bills and you said protecting the football and I think that's the biggest thing for this team and I don't know how you can necessarily practice this in training camp but uh, taking the ball away and turning it over were both big problems, and that led to a 5-11 and record. Tyrod, during his three seasons as a starter, his interception percentage was just 1.3. If you put that into last year's numbers with all the quarterbacks in the league, he'd be in the top eight in terms of taking care of the football. Uh, imagine what that would have looked like uh, in some of these one-score games, Daniel. Uh, and obviously, Philip Rivers, the year before, he, he did a better job of taking care of the football. They won 12 games. So – um, I, I don't know how you necessarily practice that, but I do know that, that Tyrod has a history of taking care of the football. If they can just be efficient with those snaps, uh, maybe they have something there offensively. I'll one-up you at the stat, all right? So of all quarterbacks in the history of the NFL with at least 1,000 passing attempts, Tyrod Taylor is second all-time in interception rate at 1.5%. The only guy better than him in the history of the NFL with 1,000 or more passing attempts is Aaron Rodgers. So, like, we're not talking about a guy who's, like, pretty good at protecting the football. We're talking about a guy who's, like, historically great at not throwing interceptions. Now, that might lead to, like, a less exciting brand of football. You know, Chargers fans are used to seeing Philip Rivers getting out there in his 17 jersey and slinging that thing around like there's no tomorrow. Uh, it's not going to be that. That's not what the Chargers are going to look like this year. But you look at what happened last year, and, and, and you look at what Anthony Lynn tries to do as a coach. There's a pillar of his coaching philosophy. There's a, there's a through line throughout every press conference we've ever had with him. And it's that he believes that turnover differential is the most important statistic and the most important thing for a football team. You have to limit turnovers and you have to force turnovers. And so he was sort of, you know, in this gridlock sort of at odds, these two philosophies of Anthony Lynn wanting to protect the football and Philip Rivers wanting to be out there like the little kid that he's always been and, and play an exciting brand of football and push the ball down the field and try and score points because that's his job as a quarterback. Now you're going to see a quarterback who's much more in line 
with Anthony Lynn's philosophy in terms of protecting the football and offense. And you look at the number of one score games this team was in last year. I think they ended up being two and nine in one score games. I mean, that is such a small margin. If, if Phil Rivers, Daniel, they were right. winning those games the year before those one score right. games. Right. So you, but you know, a, a, you know, slight increase in interception rate for Philip Rivers, you know, whatever it was like 0.7%. That is the difference. Yeah. That is the difference right there. If he doesn't throw a few interceptions late in the game, they have a possibility to be in, in, in the playoff on despite the injuries. And I think that is, is where this organization is coming from. And, and if you look back at sort of all, all the decisions that were made this off season, they were made to limit turnovers and force more turnovers because ultimately that's what Anthony Lynn is trying to accomplish as a head coach. You mentioned turnover differential, how important that is to Coach Lynn. Minus 17 last year, tied for last in the NFL. It's just so not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And we talked about offensively, right? And it was, it was also fumbles. You know, it, was, it wasn't just Phillips' interceptions. It was also fumbles. And defensively, I think that's where the Chargers really have to figure out how can we take the football away? We have bookends in Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. We add Chris Harris Jr. Darwin James was hurt for a majority of last year, which really crushed them. Uh, but you look at the secondary. We're, we're, we're hyping the secondary, I think, uh, throughout you know, the offseason a little bit, right? But I think, I think a lot of it. A, a lot, lot of it. <laughs> yeah, but they, they got to put it together. They got to put it together on the field. And it, it, there's really – there's very few excuses when you have a pass rush – like they they have, and then you add Linval Joseph, and you have guys up front, Jerry Tillery, who you expect to, to take a leap in year two. Coupled with all these guys in the back, I mean, Derwin James, Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward, Michael Davis, Rayshon Jenkins, Nazir Adderley, Desmond King. Not all these guys are going to be able to see the field, but I don't know. Just talk about the defense and what they need to do to turn around um, what, what happened in 2019. Yeah, so so – I mean, the one thing that, that, that Gus Bradley has harped on, Anthony Lynn has harped on, is that, you know, we didn't force enough turnovers, like you said. But the reason for that was we didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback. And you talk about having probably, arguably, the best pass rushing do in the league, one of them, definitely. Um, but if those guys are getting double teamed on every single third down, on every single pass rush situation, they're getting chipped. They're not going to be productive, as productive. You know, obviously, they still, you know, Bosa finished the season with 11 and a half sacks. Ingram had seven sacks, but those guys could both be much more productive players if they were getting or single teams and, and didn't have to deal with these chips and stuff. And to see is more blitzing. Gus Bradley's philosophy as a defensive coach doesn't lend itself to blitzing. He's most his defenses are pretty much year after year at the bottom of the league in blitz percentage, and that's because his philosophy relies or revolves around limiting explosive plays. Yeah, he thinks that if you can limit the explosive plays and keep everything in front and bend but don't break then you're going to have an opportunity to be a really good defense. Um, but Anthony Lynn has sort of gotten to the point where, like, we're not getting it done without blitzing. So we need to have a change. We need to be more multiple. We need to be more versatile. We need to throw some more exotic looks at opposing offenses and bring more prep as much of a weight and shoulders of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And so what you're going to see is more blitzing. I don't know how much. You know, what, what Anthony Lynn has said is, like, it's not going to be zero to 100. It's going to be zero to 30. But you're going to see more man coverage. You know, the, the staple of this defense is cover three, where you have three defenders in a, you know, splitting the deep part of the field. You know, it's a, it's a way to keep everything in front. You're going to see less of that. You're going to see more man coverage, which frees up extra defenders to blitz. Um, that extra defender could be Derwin James. 
Um, so it's kind of interesting. You're going to get like a less exciting offense, but probably a more exciting defense. Um, and with all the pieces that they have, you can really get creative with how you blitz. You know, not only are these really are, the, are these guys really good defensive backs and great coverage, you have some really good blitzing defensive backs. Desmond King, when he's on, is one of the best blitzing nickelbacks in the league. Uh, and he could be playing all over the place this season. There, you can do so many things with him in terms of getting after the quarterback. You saw in that Dolphins game last year, he chased down Josh Rosen a couple times for sacks. Yeah. Uh, he's a beast when he's blitzing. Derwin James, obviously. Rayshon Jenkins was a nickel corner before he switched to free safety. He can absolutely blitz the quarterback. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how much more blitzing they do, how much of a transition away from the cover three they do, and sort of how they use all these pieces in the secondary to get after the quarterback in some creative ways. I'm paraphrasing Gus, but when he spoke this offseason, there was a plan for Derwin James this year that that just was unraveled because he wasn't on the field. Do you think we would have seen maybe a little bit more blitzing had number 33 been on the field? Because get him close to the line of scrimmage. And, and you know, there's other guys too. I, I think Uchenna Nuosu is a guy we have to look for this year in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback. We talked about Tillery. Uh, but I think it revolves around Derwin, man. It, it, do you think we would have seen maybe more blitzing um, and maybe even more creativity had Derwin just been healthy last year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they built the defense around him. You're going yeah. into year two. I mean, he his rookie season was absolutely outstanding. And all of a sudden, he burst onto the scene as like one of the best defensive players in football. And so, of course, you spend that next offseason tweaking the defense a little bit and building more around Derwin James because you expect him to be able to put even more on his plate. And so now you have this defense that could be take even another step because your best player is so young and hasn't reached his full potential yet. You build around him, you build around him, you build around him, and then he gets injured right before the season starts. And not only that, but his backup and Adrian Phillips, who could probably do, you know, 75, 80% of what Derwin does, which is still a whole hell of a lot. Now he gets injured. And yeah. your third string strong safety is in there. So you've built your defense around this one position. And now you have the guy in Roger Teamer who could eventually develop into a great player. And he has a lot of great skills and attributes, just wasn't ready to take on that kind of responsibility. And so you're looking at a guy who could maybe do 30% of what Derwin could do, which is still a whole hell of a lot too, because Derwin's is. such a great player. But you've built the defense around him. And now you don't have that key cog and you don't have his backup either. And I think that was such a huge part of the, the struggles on third down and, and this defense not really reaching what it did in, in 2018. Um, you know, if he was there, you probably would have seen a little bit more blitzing, but the philosophy was still there for Gus Bradley. He's now being forced to adapt as a coach and sort of shy away from this philosophy, this cover three philosophy that is such a key part of his, of his defensive scheme and switch it up a little bit. And th that was mandated because of the struggles getting after the quarterback last year. And I think, you know, with Derwin in, you probably would have seen a little bit more blitzing last year, but I think you're going to see a significant amount more this coming season. Daddy, you mentioned Roger Timber. I didn't even list him when I was going through the, the secondary, which there's just so many guys, which begs the question, not all these guys are going to be able to see the field. And Nazir Adderley is a guy that I think everybody was expecting to contribute last year, just could not stay healthy. Couldn't stay on the field in year two. If we see the Nazir that they drafted in the second round, how do you see the secondary actually looking? Because there's just there's so many guys and only so many guys can play. Yeah, so I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago and sort of just went through like all these different scenarios and different combinations that they could do. And when you have certain guys that can play every position in the secondary, like like Desmond King can play every position in the secondary, it does give you a lot of options yeah. and the more I sort of 
weighed it and, and f- tried to figure out how they were going to get Nasir in the field. The one place that makes a lot of sense is if, you know, in dime packages, which would be six defensive backs on the field, you would move Rayshon Jenkins from free safety, which is where he would be in base defense and nickel packages, which is five defensive backs, move him from free safety and make him the dime backer, make him that sixth defensive back, which is the position Adrian Phillips used to play. Now, Rayshon has a, has an impressive skill set and he's very versatile and he could, he definitely has the physicality to play that position and the coverage skills to play that position. And then what you can do is if you move Rayshon to dime backer or you have Derwin, all of a sudden free safety is open. And you could bring a Sir Adley onto the field in those dime packages and put him at a position in free safety. That is what, that's his primary position. That's something he's comfortable with. And he can go out there and he can ball hawk and he's dime packages. And you'd have Chris Harris in the nickel and then Casey Hayward and Michael Davis on the outside. Um, that's one possibility. The only issue with that is now Desmond King isn't getting on the field. Um, and so it's like each, each combination you think of, one guy gets left out. Now, yeah. the one possibility is maybe you take Michael Davis off and put Desmond King on the outside, or maybe you move Chris Harris to the outside and bring Desmond King to the nickel back. I mean, there are just so many different possibilities. I ended up writing like 2,000 words on it because I was like, you know, after every combination, I was like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one, you know? Yeah. But it will be interesting to see what they do. The other possibility that Gus brought up is that they could try Mr. Adderley out at corner. He played some corner in college and has that kind of skill set. Um, and so they could, they could dabble into that during training camp. Um, but we'll see. I mean, no one really knows exactly how this is all going to shake out, but they used a second round pick on him. So they're going to do everything they can to get him on the field. It would be a complete waste for him to spend another season looking on from the sideline. It would. And, you know, we mentioned Tillery a couple of times here already. Uh, I am very interested to see what he looks like coming into training camp and, and actually having a full training camp. And it's, it's very difficult to because I, I know Mike Williams, for instance, he made a big leap from year one to year two, but he had the entire offseason program. And, and this year is just all over the place. I mean, you, you don't you don't get in front of your coaches uh, unless you're doing this on, on Zoom. Um, what do you expect from Jerry Tillery this year? And also having Linval Joseph there, a leader, a guy who I think if, if he gets a, a set amount of snaps, he's going to make an impact on that D-line as well. Yeah, you bring up Linval Joseph. It's sort of interesting because, you know, Brandon Meebane was that sort of anchor veteran. Guys relied on him for advice, both on and off the field. He was that, you know, that patriarchal figure for the for the defensive line room. The interesting thing about bringing Linval Joseph is he has the same kind of experience, but he's much more of a pass rushing threat. And so yeah. you wonder if maybe he can teach Jerry Tillery a little bit more about how to get after the quarterback than maybe Brandon Meebane did. Whereas Brandon Meebane is such a stout run blocker, maybe he was able to, to you know, teach Tillery things about dealing with double teams against the run game. But, you know, I think Jerry is going to be a huge piece of this defense and, and very important to whether or not this defense reaches its potential in 2020. They have not gotten the interior pass rush they need. And going back to what we were talking about earlier with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, a big reason why those guys are getting chipped and double teamed on every single snap is because there's really no threat of an interior defensive lineman getting after the quarterback. Justin Jones was great against the run last year. Really, really phenomenal. But he's, he just doesn't have the passing, pass rushing skill set to get it done right now. Maybe he's added that to his game this offseason. But he's really a run, a run stuffer. That's, his, that's, the, the, that's the best attribute in his game. And so they drafted Jerry Tillery as maybe being the change of pace with Justin Jones. Bring him in and have Jerry Tillery get off the quarterback. That didn't come to fruition, obviously. Um, but if they are going to be a better defense, they need to find that interior pass rush. And the guy that has to do it is Jerry Tillery. 
you know, they're going to try and get the nose tackle more involved in the pass rush, but the nose tackle ultimately can do only do so much because you're lining up pretty much over the center. And it's, you know, unless you can get your body small and, and make a really nice immediate pass rush move, it's hard relatively for the nose tackle to get the quarterback and Gus Bradley's scheme, the three technique where Jerry Taylor and Justin Jones plays that guy, the defense is created for that guy to make plays both against the run and as a pass rusher. And that's sort of what they're envisioning for Jerry Taylor is to be that pass rush package three technique with his length and athleticism to get after the quarterback, to disrupt the quarterback, to get his hands up, the bat passes. And the big issue with him last year was just strength. He obviously missed all the spring because of that shoulder injury that he yeah. needed surgery on. And so he wasn't working out as much and didn't build up as much strength as maybe he would have if he didn't have the injury. And that's going to be the key. Can he come back bigger, stronger, and and more tenacious in his mentality? And, and, and you need that kind of grit and determination to, to play against these NFL offensive linemen who are just on another level than, than college guys. But what, if he makes a big step, this defense can be an, an incredible unit in 2020, and he has to make that step for them to get there. One more thing on the defense, uh, the linebackers. And you talked about Kenneth Murray. How quickly can he pick things up? Uh, I think he's confident that he can do that, and I think the coaches are confident that he can do that as well. But uh, Drew Tranquil in year two, if we start to see the Drew Tranquil uh, that we saw towards the back half of last year, we know what he's capable of on special teams. Um, and then you, you, you hope a guy like Denzel Perryman could just stay on the field and stay healthy. Uh, this unit could be uh, kind of an X factor in this defense, Daniel. Yeah, it's something they've in recent history. It, and it's kind of ironic because the Chargers have always had these great difference-making linebackers. When you go back to Junior Seau or John Merriman or whoever, like they've always kind of had these guys that were like elite, elite linebackers that were really the heart of the defense. And they've been missing it. I mean, even in 2018, and I wrote about this today because I had Kenneth Murray in my top 10 of most important players for the season. You know, you go back to 2018 and, and not having a, a, a great linebacking core, both because of injuries and personnel, was the reason that they didn't that they got bounced from the playoffs. They had to play the, those defenses with seven defensive backs against Tom Brady, and he picked them apart. Yeah. Um, you know, they've been missing that. And, and, and Tom Telesco tried to fill that hole with Thomas Davis last year, but then they had all these injuries and strong safety. And so more had to be put on the plate of a 36-year-old Thomas Davis who's had an absolutely outstanding, incredible career. He's a warrior and all-time great, but just wasn't ready and prepared to take on that amount of responsibility at this stage of his career. And so now they've addressed it in earnest. They've got a guy and they traded up. They were aggressive. They went and got their guy in Kenneth Murray. And now you have a really interesting dynamic here where you have two really good young linebackers that are only going to improve that ideally would be, you know, the heart and the, and, 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 and the sturdiness in that middle of the defense that you've been looking for between Drew Tranquil and Kenneth Murray. Um, you know, the interesting thing is how is middle linebacker going to shake out? Cause you bring up Denzel Perryman and the coaching staff still loves Denzel Perryman just because he's, he just hits so hard. He's such a violent player yeah, and you thumper. need guys that you just need violent guys on defense to set the tone. I mean, I know it's an overused cliche, but like you need, there, there, there are moments in games where Denzel Perryman meets a running back in the hole and he hits him so hard that you can hear it, the noise in the press box. And you're like, okay, like this guy came to play today. Now, last year he was injured. He was still dealing with that knee injury he suffered in 2018. He was playing with a brace through the first four or five games of the season. He told me that he really wasn't comfortable with the brace uh, until like about midway through the season. And then he also severely sprained his ankle in the preseason. And that was a thing all season where he was getting pulled from the game. You know, what could he be if he's fully healthy? And what does that mean for Drew Tranquil? Are they splitting snaps at middle linebacker? Do they think about moving Drew Tranquil to the outside to play Will? If he's out there, where does Kenneth Murray fit in? But the beauty of it for the first time in a long time, 
they have a lot of depth there and they can really move guys around and feel like they have some sort of structure in the middle of that defense where for the last two seasons, it's kind of been like, it seemed like plugging holes, almost like whack-a-mole guys going down and you don't really have that depth and talent to fill the holes if guys do get injured. Now I feel like they do have it. And I'm honestly very excited to see Kenneth Murray play in this defense because Gus Bradley is wait. absolutely ecstatic with this kid, both in terms of his makeup and his skill set. Um, and he, he could fit really well in at that weak side linebacker position just because he can cover sideline to sideline. He's fast. He's a run and hit linebacker. And that's something they've been missing, like I said, in recent seasons. Couple more for you, Daniel. We'll flip it back over to, to offense. This will be the best set of weapons that Tyrod has ever played with in his NFL career with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. Uh, the running game is going to be interesting too. Uh, Austin Eckler is going to be looked at to maybe carry a little bit more of the load, but you still have Justin Jackson. You have Joshua Kelly, who um, Coach Lynn said, listen, we're not saying he's going to be Melvin Gordon, but he does have the capability of getting some of those tough yards. Uh, what do you think the offense could look like? And then you, whether it's Justin Herbert, Tyrod Taylor, he's the stick. They, they're all mobile quarterbacks. So, uh, what do you think this offense could look like with all of this talent around them? The, the offensive line, obviously, um, there, there may be some questions there just with a new coach and some some personnel that may be a little bit younger on that left side. Yeah, well, I think that their offense is going to look a lot more like what the Ravens have been doing in recent seasons. Greg Roman is their offensive coordinator, and Anthony Lynn coached with Greg Roman in Buffalo in, in 2015 and 2016. So there is some familiarity there and then there is some overlap in terms of ideas and, and as far as where they've been in their careers, um, you know, the, what the Ravens, the Ravens obviously have a generational talent, Lamar Jackson, the Chargers don't have a player that can do what Lamar Jackson do because no one can do what Lamar Jackson can do, but they have players that are similar. They have players that can move at the quarterback position. And that's going to be a big part of what the Chargers do this coming season. Um, you're going to see a lot more of the zone reads of the, of the design quarterback runs. You're going to see a lot more quarterback movement. I know that's a word I say a lot, but what they mean by quarter, what I mean by quarterback movement is is bootlegs, rollouts, play action where the pocket doesn't stay stationary and it moves either left or right. And that's something that you just couldn't do with Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers does a lot of things better than anyone's ever done them in the league. He's probably going to make the Hall of Fame. His anticipation, his his grit and determination, his leadership, his knowledge of the line of scrimmage, the amount of stuff that he used to change the line of scrimmage, he did more than anyone in the league. At that. Now, could he move very well? Not really late in his career. And so Anthony Lynn has always kind of wanted to implement a lot of these new things that are sweeping the NFL, but couldn't because of his personnel and Philip Rivers. And now you're going to see that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how it sort of develops and whether they can they can execute it. But the one thing that, you know, the coaching staff and front office likes to talk about is that if you're moving the quarterback around a lot more and you're using more play action RPO and, and, and bootlegs and things like that, it does alleviate some of the pressure on the offensive line. When Philip Rivers was dropping back in the past in, in the pocket, he was standing in one place, and a stationary target is very easy for a defensive end or pass rusher to get to. You pin your ears back, and you just go after him, and you know that the quarterback's not going to get out of the way. But you see what happens with Patrick Mahomes, a great example. Pass rushers can beat their offensive linemen, but then he's rolling out, and he's not getting touched, and he's still making a play even though your offensive line got beat. And that's really what the Chargers were missing late in Phillip Rivers' career is they just didn't have those, those kind of off-script plays, those scrambles on third and ten that really make an offense move. And I think you'll be seeing a little bit more of that this coming season. Daniel, final thing for you. Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to a couple of your counterparts at The Athletic, Deshaun Reed and Nate Taylor covering the uh, the Raiders and Chiefs. Talked to Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post last week talking about the Broncos. I want to ask you, 
how do you see the Chargers stacking up in this division, knowing that all the moves the, the Broncos made, the, the Raiders made, the Chiefs really stood pat, um, but there's a lot of familiarity there uh, in Kansas City. Knowing that the Chargers won 12 games two years ago and what went wrong last year uh, with the turnovers, which we documented, the injuries, uh, how do you see the Chargers stacking up early prediction here in June? Well, this was a priority for Tom Telesco this offseason. Like, he was clearly upset that his team went 0-6 in the division. And when you look around the league, like, teams build their rosters to deal with their divisional opponents because you know you're playing six games against those teams every single year, six out of 16 games. So you build your team to prepare for those teams in your division. So to go 0-6 is a real indictment of how you built your roster. There's no real way to to cut it any other way, even if the games were all really close. Now, with that being said, the Chargers probably played the Chiefs' offense better than any other team in the league last season. Both games were close, and that game in Mexico City was one of the best defensive games ever played against Patrick Mahomes in terms of what he was held to in yards per attempt. So they, they did that with, inj- with an injured team. You bring back Derwin James. You bring in Chris Harrison, Linval Joseph. You bring in and draft Kenneth Murray. All of a sudden, you've got a lot more talent here. So they have the right approach. Now they have the personnel to do the things that you need to do against the Chiefs, which is be fast and tackle in space. Because a lot of the time, you know, most of the time with the Chiefs, it's not like they're airing it out over the top. That obviously happens. They're running by you. (laughs) A lot of these big gainers, right, are little dump-offs, and they got the fastest guys in the NFL, and they're taking off on these screen passes, on short slants, whatever it is. Um, got to be able to tackle in space. And so I I think they stack up well, and I think the fact that it's been a priority to rebound from that 0-6 finish against the division uh, is also an important factor here. Um, and we'll see. I, I, I can guarantee you that they will win a game against the division this year because I can't imagine an Anthony Lynn, Tom Telesco team going 0-6 against the division in two seasons back-to-back. So I'd expect them to to stack up well, honestly. And, and and we'll see. We'll just see how the team sort of forms together. My, my vision of the team right now is, and I've sort of alluded to this all along, is you have a a sort of middle of the road offense that doesn't make mistakes ever runs the ball really well um, and puts up enough points to let their defense win games. And you have a defense that is, you know, maybe the best defense in football. I think that's really a possibility with the talent that they have. And that's sort of the vision. I I think that this team has been put together and that stacks up well in in a a division that has a lot of really, really, really strong offensive talent, especially when you're looking at the chiefs, you know, having a strong defense in this division will be crucial. and, And I think they'll get there and, and I would envision a, a much better performance against the division this season from the Chargers. Then there's the unknown with when training camp is going to start and, and all the protocols that need to be put in place. I'm hoping that this isn't going to be the norm where I got to talk to Daniel Popper via Zoom and I can't see him I on the field. Get back in the studio. <laughs> yeah, I want to get back in the studio. I want to get back on the grass, man. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start crazy in here, honestly, but hopefully uh, – you know, the NFL owners were having their meeting today, so hopefully we get an idea of when all this stuff will, will come into motion and we can be seeing each other very soon. Yes, sir. Well, Daniel Popper, The Athletic, always appreciate your time, man. Looking forward to getting back to football sooner than later. And uh, you guys, everyone who listens to this subscribes to The Athletic, I would hope, and knows Daniel's work. So uh, continue to, to read Daniel's stuff. Always top-notch. Appreciate your time, brother. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Daniel Popper for joining me. And thanks to you guys for listening. We're going to take next week off for the 4th of July. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode of Chargers Weekly as we get closer to training camp 2020. 
Have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayward.